Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 138. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you of all the usual things. You can find me on social media, on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan, on Facebook, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. So go on out to YouTube.com. Just go look for me, Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for all of those things, of course, you can go to my webpage, BrianMcClanahan.com. At the top of the page, you've got all of my social media buttons. Just go up there and click on the various social media buttons. It'll take you right to it. And if you want to support the Brian McClanahan Show, you can go to BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support, and you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights going, help keep the podcast going. Also, while you're at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com, please remember to give me an email address, and I will give you free stuff. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. And don't forget, you've got my McClanahan Academy. That's mcclanahanacademy.com. You can go out there, and it's free to register. And, of course, I'll be adding new content, but, of course, I have a course on secession and a course on Alexander Hamilton. So you can also support the podcast by purchasing one of my classes at McClanahan Academy. And I'm also pleased to announce that I do have merchandise with my new awesome logo. So looking at it here, you've got the Brian McClanahan Show logo. Just going out to redbubble.com. R-E-D-B-U-B-B-L-E, redbubble.com, and you can put my name in at the top of the page, and it'll come up with my logo and the merchandise you can get. You can get all kinds of cool things, T-shirts, stationery, uh, skins for your uh, uh, cell phones and iPads. You can even buy a wall clock if you want with the logo on it. So it's got all that cool stuff out there. But go out to redbubble.com, and you can get the Brian McClanahan Show merchandise. So that's pretty exciting. New stuff for 2018. Okay, well today I want to talk about a couple of things, but most importantly, a book that has been published by Shotwell Press, and it's written by Paul Graham, and it's entitled Confederophobia. And so first let me talk about Shotwell Press. Shotwell Press is an independent publishing group uh, formed established by Clyde Wilson, my advisor in graduate school, and also Paul Graham, their co-owners. And they've produced a lot of great works. Uh, most of them are historical, but they also have a literature side to it. And most of them are, are focused on the South, or I should say almost all of them are focused, focused exclusively on the South. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, uh, Clyde Wilson is uh, has produced uh, several books uh, in this particular venture. And uh, this book that I'm going to talk about today is uh, one of the recent books. It came out, um, let's see, last year. Let me find the publication date here. I'm going to show you the book here in a second. came out in 2017, right, right near the end of the year. And so this book was actually born in an article that Paul wrote for the Abbeville Institute website. And they later, later expanded it out into a book. And it's a fascinating book for a lot of reasons, and I want to get into some of those reasons. And a lot of it has to do with the way we conceptualize politics in America. And really, I think, in many ways, the fundamental problem with what we're facing when it comes to politics today. It really is the fundamental problem. And it's not, I mean, Paul gets to it, but he, and, but he doesn't really get to the meat of it. And, I, and so the book's wonderful. It's only about, uh, let me see here, the book is only... 
um, if you account the for the appendices, I mean, you're looking at a book in terms of total text that is about 56 pages. The cool thing about Shotwell Press is, well, most of the books are about six bucks, so you can't beat it. I mean, you can get these books uh, on Amazon.com. Uh, and here's the book, Confederophobia. I love the I love the cover. It's really funny. Uh, but the point of this particular book is to explain what he calls a phobia of all Confederate symbols, statues, monuments, whatever it is. There, people have a phobia to these things, and of course, that's manifesting itself in all of the attacks on Confederate symbols around the United States today. Whether it's in the South itself, we just saw uh, not long ago that a couple of statues were removed in Memphis, or whether it's places like there was a, a plaque honoring some Confederate POWs that was covered up up in Massachusetts. Uh, so now you can't even have a plaque saying that there were some Confederate POWs here. Um, you can't even do that because now that's going to be uh, considered to be politically incorrect. Uh, we can't like anything Confederate anymore. Uh, you know, the Dukes of Hazard can't even be on TV because it's got the Confederate flag on the General Lee. I mean, this stuff was predicted back in the 90s, but <clears throat> I never thought, really, honestly, I never thought it would get to this point where people had such an aversion to all things Confederate. And it's not, it's, it's, it's across the board. It's across the, the political spectrum. It's not <clears throat> people on the left necessarily always looking at this. Also people on the right, so-called right, who are, uh, you know, opposed to these symbols and monuments and everything. Uh, but this is, this is problematic uh, for a lot of different reasons. And I think, uh, you know, Paul does a nice job in bringing some of that out in the book. So I'm going to quote some of the book, and I, I think you can go out and get this, like I said, for about six bucks on Amazon.com. Just go out and look for Paul Graham or the title Confederophobia. Uh, but I want to I quote a couple of things. So <clears throat> he actually begins uh, the book talking about um, a piece in The Atlantic written by uh, Brian Resnick. And this is what he said. And I want to build off a, a, a part of this particular quotation. So he says this, quote, this is what Resnick said. This is not Paul Graham, but this is Resnick. Quote, when South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley signed a bill Thursday to remove the Confederate battle flag from the grounds of the statehouse, the move was more than symbolic. Flags hold a psychic power over people. When we see them, the ideas and groups they represent make a mark on our minds and can change our behavior. When the flag near the South Carolina legislature is taken down Friday, that power will be removed with it. So I want to focus on part of that. The psychic power, this idea that symbols, symbols, somehow have a psychic power. We actually would call this emotivism. This is an emotive argument. And so let me talk about that particular idea of emotivism. And I'm actually going to look, or I'm going to talk about another book, and it's entitled After Virtue. And here, I have it in paperback form. This is a second edition. This is... um written by a philosopher named Alastair McIntyre. And he gets into this whole concept of emotivism uh, and, and what that is. And he begins this particular book talking about different issues in politics. And what he's trying to do is return to an Aristotelian ethics. I mean, that's, that's McIntyre's point. But he talks about this idea of emotivism. And he says this, <clears throat> Emotivism is thus a theory which professes to give an account of all value judgments whatsoever. Clearly, if it is true, all moral disagreement is rationally 
disagreeable. And clearly, if that is true, then certain of the features of contemporary moral debate to which I draw attention earlier do indeed have nothing to do with what is specifically contemporary, but is it true? And he gets into a definition of emotivism. He talks about that earlier. This is um, in the, I believe, the second chapter. He says, Emotivism is the doctrine that all evaluative judgments, and more specifically all moral judgments, are nothing but expressions of preference, expressions of attitude or feeling, insofar as they are moral or evaluative in character. So let me talk about that in relation to this idea of a psychic power. What we are experiencing in modern politics in many ways is the rise of emotivism and how that affects our value judgments and our political decisions in a modern political discourse. Because you see, what, this, what Resnick is saying here in this particular piece is that these flags have psychic power. In other words, not, in other words, not psychic power, but emotional power. What he's saying here is that he, sh- he could replace psychic with emotional. When the flag of the South Carolina legislature is taken down, that power will be removed with it. That emotional power. In his, eye, in his world, these things are emotional. And this is because you have about half of the population in America that votes with their heart. They vote with their feelings. They'll say things like, I feel rather than I think. <clears throat> this is not a logical response to monuments or symbols. A logical person would look at that and say, well, <clears throat> it's a monument. It doesn't hurt me. It does nothing to me. It's a monument. It's marble. Or it's a flag. It does nothing to me. It doesn't hurt me. It's a flag. That's the rational response to these things. If you look at a symbol, you can say, okay, well, we can look at those and say, well, that's the good guys or that's the bad guys. Or I don't necessarily agree with that symbol, but does it really actually hurt me? Does it do anything to me physically other than emotionally? And people in America today tend to vote with emotions. They don't think about things rationally. And this is what McIntyre is getting into. You can't really have a logical debate with these people because at their core, it is to them an irrational psychic power. And you look at the examples. The wonderful thing about this little book are all the examples he gives of all these irrational things that these people are doing. It's not just tearing down monuments. It's throwing a fit when they go into an outdoor store and there's some merchandise with a Confederate flag on it, and these people go into complete spasms because there's merchandise there with that flag on it. They can't seem to get past their own emotional response. It's the snowflake generation. That hurts my feelings. You see, what we have produced is an entire generation or more. I mean, it's not just the snowflakes, not just the millennials, the younger people. We produced millions of people that are emotional. And I remember back when I was actually an undergraduate and I was taking history courses, I had a leftist professor who um, was, I mean, extremely hardcore leftist, but she always said, I don't like it when people say, I feel, I want people to say, I think, because she understood what was at stake. She understood that by saying, I feel, at that point, now this is over 20 years ago, at that point, you could be ridiculed for that. It was more important to think about things and to feel things. But nowadays, 
It's all about your feelings. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Does this image, does this monument have psychic power over you? Think about how silly that is in some ways. If you're a rational person, this makes no sense. But if you're an emotive person, and actually you can divide people up into uh, extroverts and introverts, and then you could say there are different quadrants in that. There's the extroverts that are task-oriented, the extroverts that are uh, people-oriented, and the introverts that are task-oriented, and the introverts that are people-oriented. But essentially on that people-oriented side, you've got feelers. Their entire being, their entire existence is justified and verified by feeling. The task-oriented people are straightforward, blunt. Look, that flag has nothing to do with me. I don't care. Or that flag, you know, I can come up with logical reasons why that flag should fly or logical reasons why we should uh, keep the monuments up. Or even on the other side, someone can say, well, I have logical reasons why it should come down. And if that's the case, you can have a rational discussion with those people. But when it comes down to emotion, which is what we see 99% of the time, it looks like, in these particular situations... When it comes down to emotion, there's no reasoning, there's no argument that's going to change it. This is a feeling. This is psychic power. This is what McIntyre is saying is so dangerous. And, of course, the problem with all of this is that in democratic societies, these people that don't usually use rational arguments, they go out and vote, and they vote with their heart. Now, the people that vote this way would say, well, that's perfectly reasonable. I'm allowed to. And, of course, I'm not arguing for or against democratic societies. But what I'm saying is this is why we have an extensive amount of disconnect when it comes to things like these major emotional issues. And it's not just Confederate flags and symbols. It's most of our social issues that get wrapped up into this. It's about feelings. It's the cultural war that is all about emotion. I don't want this because I feel this is right or wrong. Or I want this because I feel this is right or wrong. For about half of the population, that's the case. For about half of the voting public, that's the case. This is why they argue a particular way, because their feelings are involved. And this is particularly strong with people on the left. Let's just be real about it. It's particularly strong with people on the left and how they think about things. It's not thinking, it's feeling. They feel things, and so that's how they vote. They're not rational in these things. It's irrationality. And so Paul Graham actually gets into this in quite a lot of detail. And he says, what is confederophobia? Excuse me. He says, what is confederophobia? Confederophobia is characterized by an irrational and pathological hatred and fear of all things confederate. Flags, monuments, graves, portraits, trinkets, stickers, etc. Anything that could be associated even tenuously with the late Confederate States of America, including the region from which it sprang and those people and groups of people who are native or sympathetic to this region. So think about that first sentence. He says this is characterized by irrational and pathological hatred and fear of all things Confederate. That first part, irrational. To those who have this, it's not irrational then because it's based on feeling. It's based on how they feel. I feel these things are evil. I feel these things are bad. I feel. Not I think. I feel. And so anything that has that, anything that has that symbol, again, that feeling, it's invoking that feeling of hatred. 
for these things. Because again, hatred, a pathological hatred, hate is a feeling. Hate is the opposite of love in many ways. Or you could say it's just part and parcel of love. It's still a feeling. Indifference is logical. Hatred or love are feelings. So I could make an argument, well, I think we should keep monuments up because they represent a period of history. They represent uh, a part of American history, a reconciliation period. They represent a view of government from a period of people and a time and place. They represent, and many of these monuments were actually created out of feeling because of a feeling for loved ones who were killed, grandparents, brothers, sisters uh, who were supporting the Confederacy, not women who were killed, but of course the sisters, mothers, wives, uh, cousins, daughters who supported the Confederacy or who were related to Confederate soldiers. Most of the monuments were erected for that particular reason. They were in honor of soldiers. It was a feeling of love that produced them. But of course, you can also look at them in a more indifferent, rational way, and saying, well, this is about reconciliation, about healing wounds. They're talking about political principles in many of these monuments. This is about states' rights or decentralization. Whatever the case may be, they're works of art. They represent something in American history. So you can make a very rational argument they should stay. You can also, and I've seen people try to do, make a rational argument they should go. But most of the time, <clears throat> what you're seeing, seeing in this are not rational arguments. They are, as Paul Graham says, irrational. And he goes through many different expressions of confederophobia. Now, he talks about one's interesting here. He says this on page 17. In internalized or personal confederophobia, he says, this aspect of confederophobia manifests, manifests itself in negative beliefs, stereotypes, stigmas, and or prejudices against self-identified Southerners and traditional Southern symbols, that Southerners are racist, redneck, or stupid, for example. And he gives a really funny example of this. And in fact, you can go try this yourself, and it works. Go out to Google and type in Southerners are. And look what Google starts to fill in. Most of them are. Southerners are fake, stupid, rude, racist, lazy, dumb, backstabbers, backwards, evil, and idiots. One of them <clears throat> has Southerners are nice. But that was one or friendly, I think it was. Friendly. Southerners are friendly. But all the others are negative stereotypes if you just type Southerners are. Now, so is Google itself confederophobic? Well, I think it's absolutely true uh, that they are. Certainly they are. Uh, and it's irrational. For generations, people didn't have this irrational hatred of things that were confederate. In fact, part of reconciliation was recognizing those people were Americans, that they were part of the American character, they had a different view, they were on the wrong side, they lost, but we're going to bury the hatchet, we're going to get over this, we're going to get beyond this, and we're going to get back together as the Union, and we're going to be proud you can have Dixie and be what you are, and we'll be in the North, and we'll be what we are. And it wasn't a, an, an attempt to assimilate. There, was, there wasn't the Borg running around out there saying, you will be assimilated. But that's at heart of what's going on here. It's a cultural assimilation in the name of diversity, but really it's all about assimilation. You cannot be different in the American, modern American society. 
doing so is certain, will certainly lead to being ostracized in American society. Particularly if you're an academic, like yours truly, who has a different perspective on, say, the South or Southern history, one that is not necessarily in the mainstream academy anymore, but for years was in the mainstream academy. I mean, this is why things are so interesting, because so many things have changed, right? It's, it's no longer, you, you can no longer have real rational discourse, and that's because I think the academy in many ways has been taken over by emotivists. They go out looking for things to criticize based on feeling. They don't. They have a re, there's a repugnance to certain things, and so they're going to write about them with a repugnant attitude. You can. It saturates the literature. It saturates what they're doing. And so, Paul does a really nice job in this again. Confederophobia, an American epidemic. A phobia, by the way, if you look at just why I think I love that phobia, because think about a phobia, and he gets into this in the book. You know, if you have arachnophobia, for example, if you're afraid of spiders, you realize that's irrational. That, yeah, a spider could bite you, but probably in your, in your entire life, you're not going to be bitten by a spider, let alone one that's going to kill you. So there's really no reason to fear spiders. It's irrational. Now, I guess if you came face-to-face with a black widow and it was right on your face, well, then you could have a fear of that spider. Or maybe if a tarantula was crawling on your arm, you might have a fear of that spider. People have fear of snakes because they don't want to be bitten by a snake. Obviously, you have a greater chance of being bitten by a snake than you do, say, a tarantula, particularly if you live in the South and you have a number of poisonous snakes around all the time. But still, in most of your everyday life, you're not going to be bitten by a snake. It does happen to people, but probably it's not going to happen to you. So it's irrational. And you can come up with all these different things. But people recognize that the problem is not the snakes or the spiders. It's you. The problem is not the thing, but you. And so you need to overcome that phobia. Well, the problem with confederophobia is that they're placing the burden back on the symbol or the, or the statue itself and not realizing that their whole persona, their whole perception of this, it's them. The phobia, the irrational fear, is their problem. It has nothing to do with the statue. It has nothing to do with the flag. Because in many cases, you know, nine times out of ten, the people that respect those statues or those symbols are not going to use them in any type of evil way. Of course, some people will, and that's unfortunate. But for the most part, people aren't going to do that. And so it's really an irrational fear, a phobia. And so really what should happen here is that these people should recognize this in many ways is a disease. And we should treat it as such, but yet we don't. We give in to it because we have about half the population that are emotivists. And they recognize emotivists because they're one too. And they say, that makes you feel bad. Well, I don't want you to feel bad. So let's go ahead and let's take this. I, I can understand feeling bad. So let's take this down. They don't think about it rationally. They're thinking about it irrationally. Therein lies the problem. And again, this is not just Confederate symbols, though I use this as a bridge into some of the issues. Again, social issues, whether it's immigration. Immigration is one of these. You, you try to make people feel guilty for opposing unlimited immigration. Or you try to make people feel guilty for opposing social welfare programs. Even if it's 
uh, an irrational when 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 commercials are made where you know Granny's getting thrown off a cliff and things like that. That's an emotive argument. You could say I oppose social welfare spending because it's bankrupting the United States. That's a rational argument, but yet. The emotivist will say, "Well, what are you going to do about poor grandma? Are you going to throw her off the cliff? You're going to you're going to get rid of her? You're going to I mean, what are you going to do about these people? People will starve. Children are going to starve." And these are the type of arguments that are made in response to very rational positions that, you know, we really don't have the money for these things. Same thing, you can you can even we'll take social welfare programs out of it and use the military, for example. You can make an argument, "Well, our military is bigger than most other countries in the world combined." We spend billions of dollars on the military. We have this far-flung foreign adventurism. That's bad for our economy. That's bad for you know the, uh, American soldiers to be involved in all these wars overseas. It's not good. It's going to bankrupt us. Look at history. The Romans were bankrupt by it. The British were bankrupt by it. The Spanish were bankrupt by it. This is a bad idea. It's not rational to do so. History proves that this is an irrational thing, but yet... The emotivists will say, but yeah, but these people need jobs. What about all the people that work in the defense industry? You're going to put them out of business if you get rid of these, uh, if you get rid of the military industrial complex. You're going to, what about soldiers? What are they going to do? Where are they going to work if they're not soldiers anymore? They need an income and a paycheck. And so that becomes a very emotional argument. These are emotional things. We have basically gotten to the point in America where no arguments are rational anymore. They're irrational emotive arguments. And that's because, and it's amazing because I was actually told this in a seminar recently that the best politicians, the best leaders are the introverted uh, people, people, or even the extroverted people, people, but the people, people, not the rational, not, not the task people who look at everything and try to come up and think about things, but it's the it's the people drivers. Why? Because they can relate to people, because they can feel your pain. Think about that. Think about that statement. Jimmy Carter was the first one who actually said that. It wasn't Bill Clinton. But Jimmy Carter said it back in the 70s when we were going through a pretty bad financial period. He got on TV and said, I feel your pain. And then, of course, Bill Clinton picked up on that in the 90s, and I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Uh, we need to get out there. We need to feel the pain of all the people in America. We need to make sure we're we're providing things for these people in America today because that's what we have to do. And I have to get to back to work for the American people right now. This is Bill Clinton's I Feel Your Pain. But that's an emotional response. This is what people are attached to. You think about just we had the other day an Oprah Winfrey speech it was an emotional speech, and people were saying, oh, my gosh, here we go. This woman's got to be president of the United States. Why? Because they're attached to her emotionally. We don't even know what she would be like if it comes down to the most important job the president can have, which is foreign policy. But no, that doesn't matter, not in our emotional world. It's all about how that person makes me feel rather than what that person does rationally. What, what credentials does this person have? Uh, what kind of tasks can they do? Where is the rationality in all of this? There's, it's an irrational position to support someone because they make you feel a certain way. That's irrational. The only reason, I mean, look, you look at the opposition to Trump, it's completely irrational most of the times. It's just emotional. But again, that's the world in which we live. It's emotional responses to everything. It is emotivism. And McIntyre does a wonderful job 
bringing this out in his book After Virtue. So I would pick that up too. You can get it in paperback and, you know, for cheap if you want to buy it used. Also go out and look at Paul Graham's Confederophobia because it is such a wonderful little book. And again, it's cheap. You're, you're looking at under 10 bucks for the book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon again. It's... Um, I think they even have an audiobook version of it, I think, for Confederophobia. I'm not, not 100% sure about that. But all the Shotwell Press offerings are great, and, of course, Clyde's books that he does that are great. Uh, but this is, this is something to think about when you're actually engaging people. Understand that when people are arguing from an emotional position, there's no convincing them. There's no convincing them that their position is irrational. You can't argue with them that way. You have to show them that they're feeling that there's an opposite feeling to that, and that you have to make them feel good about the situation. That's what it comes down to, and probably you're never going to change that feeling. You're never going to. Uh, hatred is a very powerful feeling, and it's not one that's easily changed. And so we have to understand what is going on in America, and that is it. We live in an emotive society. Virtually every issue is, de is debated in emotional terms. And I'm not so certain how to correct that, other than, this kind of goes back to think locally, act locally, trying to form communities that don't operate that way, and trying to ensure that you work on the people you can that deal with things in, ir in, in, in rational ways, not irrational people, but rational ways. I think that's the only way to combat this problem, but um, it is a major problem moving forward for American democracy and how do you deal with emotional people? How do you deal with issues, cultural issues, and take them take them away from emotions? I mean, this is this is what we've gotten into. Uh, just look at Trump the other day with immigration. He said we're going to have a bill that's full of love. That's an emotional bill. It's emotional. It's emotivism. So everything we're dealing, I, I, unfortunately, I really don't have a lot of hope that anything's going to change. The the days are over when you can make fun of someone for saying or say, you know, that's irrational. You shouldn't think that way. Think about this rationally. You can't do that anymore. When my very feminist left-wing professor would say, I don't want to hear you say feel. I want to hear you say think because she wanted to be taken seriously, not by feeling, but by thinking. Nowadays, you don't have to say that anymore. You say, I feel and you're good. No one's going to say, well, that's rational. Now you can be called all kinds of names for that. Well, you're just being sexist then. You're just being whatever the, the pejorative you're going to use on them for saying that. How can you say that? You're being cruel. You're being mean. But that's the issue at hand. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Remember to go out and get the Brian McClanahan Show gear, wear it around. If you get it and you do buy a shirt or something, take a picture of it. Send it to me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan or send it to me in an email or something uh, through my webpage, and uh, I will share it because I'd love to see you out there with the Brian McClanahan gear. Go to redbubble.com and just search for Brian McClanahan. You'll come up with all the stuff that I can uh, that I can give you with that, uh, that logo on it. It's a wonderful new logo. I'm really excited about it. And, of course, I've got the videos now on YouTube. So go on out and subscribe to my YouTube channel if you want to watch the podcast rather than just listen to the podcast. I'd love it that you listen to it. But if you want to check it out on video as well, you can do that. And you can see the books and the symbol and all that stuff that I talk about and try to show on camera. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon Show.